couple of weeks ago in our Ross Road Facebook group, we asked the question for people to share what their favorite movie was, but only using emojis. Now, most of these that were shared were pretty easy to understand, but there was one that I just couldn't figure out. Maybe you can. Uh, Janelle Murray said that her favorite movie had the emoji of a cowboy, an astronaut, a dinosaur, and a potato. Now, at first, I, I couldn't think of it, and my first guess was Space Cowboys, because that included the first two, at least, and I'd never seen the movie before. So I guessed it, and I was wrong. Uh, some of you may have figured it out immediately, but for the rest of us, it's sitting there and lingering, and you may feel like you should be able to figure it out. When I saw the answer, Toy Story, it became really obvious that, that that's what it was. Sometimes there's these blockades that we have that we feel like we should know something, but we don't. It, it feels like we should have some kind of answer, but we just can't get there. And that can happen in our spiritual lives too. Maybe we feel like we should know what God wants us to do in a situation, but there's a blockade, or, or like we have the answer, but, it, but it's just not quite there. Maybe you feel like some Christians in your life, they feel like they're, they're connected to God and they have this conversation with him, but, but you don't have there, and, and you maybe feel like you could never get there. How is it even possible to have that kind of connection with God, to have the answers that he wants for you to live and how you want to live and, and what he wants you to do? And, and you feel like there's this blockade and it should be there, but it's not. We're currently in the middle of a series about, from 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And they're facing some of these same mind blocks of, of not knowing what they should do and because they weren't doing what they were, should be doing. And, and too often they're living under worldly wisdom and worldly guidance rather than God's guidance for their lives. And Craig talked about how often the wisdom of the world or the power of the world is different than Christianity, and it can appear as foolishness and weakness. But, but once we understand Christianity, once we understand what God has given us, maybe we've accepted Jesus as Lord, it's like there's a mental block gone, and, and what seems like we can't quite get there, it's fully understood to us. Maybe like Toy Story, where we can understand it once it's told to us, and, and it seems like a light can kind of go off, and it can be wise. And that's where we're led today. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 9, is the first part of the passage that we'll read together now. Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no, one, no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Now, what's surprising about the start of this passage is that Paul is actually calling the whole church mature. Now, he's not talking to a specific group of the church. He's, he's saying all of you, like I've spoken all of you who are the mature, this message. Now, if you've been following along with us, you know that this group of Christians in the Corinthian church are, are not a bunch of all-star Christians who have it all figured out. I mean, they're not the Super Bowl champion Rams. Sorry, that's the last time I bring that up. Maybe. Um, but, but it's a bunch of kind of people who, who haven't 
figured it out. They, they're, they're acting like children. They're acting like infants, but Paul's calling them mature. And what he's not saying is he's not saying that, uh, that there's no such thing as spiritual maturity. Because in the next chapter, he actually talks about calling them infants and saying, you're not acting like God has made you. What Paul is saying is that all followers of Jesus are in one group that he calls the mature. And throughout this section, he's actually going to contrast the followers of Jesus to another group of people who we will now call unbelievers. And I think too often, both for the church in Corinth and for us today, is that this line is blurred. And the way that the mature follower of Jesus, and by mature I mean all followers of Jesus, act so much like the people in this For instance, I think a lot of Christians today live more by the American dream than they do by the Christian gospel. Now, I don't think people would actually say that blatantly out loud, but what drives them is a lot more about having a nicer car, what they think about is getting a nicer home or going on their vacation, rather than what Jesus has called us to do, which includes suffering at times and and trials and difficulty, but It also includes the life that he offers us, the joy that is in him alone and not in this world. And and the next contrast that Paul actually talks about in this section is that he first says that the wisdom and rulers of this age are coming to nothing. But the mature, he says, that we are destined for glory. Now, there's two different ages that are currently happening right now, and this is something that Craig talked about last week a little bit, so I'm going to use a little bit of a different illustration. Uh, the, the two ages are the age of this world and the kingdom of God, and, and, and these are both happening at the same time in this present reality. Now, it's kind of like when Jesus came and he died on the cross. That's almost like D-Day in World War II, the Battle of Normandy where the Allied forces Uh, set their troops on continental Europe. And at that point, eventually, V-Day would happen, victory, where the Nazi empire was destroyed. But at that point, there was still this battle waging between the two ages, between the age of the Allied forces and the Nazi forces. So so here he's saying that the, the, the world right now, the age of this world will come to nothing the power that we gain, the money, the comfort, the things of this world will all come to nothing, just like the Nazi empire was destroyed. But the things of God's glory means that we are destined for glory. It'll be destined for eternity. I live close to a a cemetery, and every once in a while, I'll actually walk through the cemetery and, and have some time to pray and some solitude time with God. That may seem a little bit morbid, but it actually gives me a, a real good uh, just thought about the, the finiteness of this life. And one thing I noticed is that often the epitaphs on the tombstones include something about eternity without people really thinking about it. They'll say something like, this person's gone, but never forgotten. Or they'll say that this person is always loved. Those two terms, never and always, are eternal terms. Like, they're never going to stop. They're always going to be happening in one way or another. But most often, 
in three or four generations, these people might be forgotten. And, and they won't be loved and cherished in the same way. So on this earth, they won't be. They won't be eternal like, like these epitaphs are hoping for. We each have a longing for the eternal in our hearts. We have a longing for the glory of God. And yet, too often we put our focus on this age. So that's some of the, the, the statement that he's making is the difference in, in being in this world, it's coming to nothing. But if we live for, God, for, for God's world as if spiritually mature, we're destined for glory. Now, uh, what happens next in the passage is actually what Peter's going, or Paul, sorry, Paul's going to reference is another difference, and that's spiritual blindness to spiritual understanding. And he actually uses the prophet Isaiah to be able to uh, explain this uh, to them. See, Isaiah was a prophet, and he lived a couple hundred years before, uh, and he tried to convince people to turn back to God. And as you see in this, uh, in this quote, that Paul actually changes a little bit of what Isaiah said. See, both Isaiah and Paul talk about no ear un- uh, no ear hearing and no eye understanding. Uh, they, they flip the order of them. Uh, but then Paul adds something that talks about no mind conceiving. Now, I think Paul does this uh, for two reasons. One, it's a summary of no ear hearing and no eye uh, seeing, uh, but it also leads to his next point of having the mind of Christ. But there's a difference in the last line uh, of the two quotes. Isaiah talks about how the people... We're waiting for God to act. But, in, uh, but Paul doesn't talk about waiting for God to act. What he talks is, a, is about uh, understanding what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a big difference between waiting for someone to act and, and actually understanding what God has prepared. And I believe, again, that this is because that Paul and Isaiah wrote at two different times in redemptive history. If we go back to our other illustration, Isaiah wrote before D-Day. He wrote before Jesus came and before Jesus brought the kingdom of God and being able to experience him more in our lives. Isaiah, uh, so Isaiah told people, you have to wait, wait for Jesus to come. But that was different for Paul because, because the people now no longer had to be in this section anymore because of Jesus' death on the cross he makes it possible for the people to be from, from that side now into this side, to be mature instead of an unbeliever, to have uh, glory instead of our lives being built to nothing, to be, uh, have spiritual understanding instead of being spiritual blind. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to wait for God to act anymore. He already has on the cross. And not only that, that we get to receive what he has prepared for us. And he's prepared a hope and a future for us. He's prepared for us every spiritual blessing that we can imagine. And he's prepared for us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. He's given us all these things because of what Jesus has done for us. And now we get to receive it for those who love him. Now, it's important too that, that Paul talks about for those who love him. It's not, he doesn't say those who obey him. He doesn't say those who sacrifice for him. Because love is a deeper connection. 
Because love may include things like sacrificing for somebody else, and it may include uh, doing what they want us to do, um, but it's so much deeper, and it requires a connection, a connection with God through his spirit. And that's what Romans 5, 5 talks about when it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. That's where Paul's leading in this next section is that the Spirit is actually with us and in us in in a connection that is full of love. Uh, Verse 10 to uh, 16 in 1 Corinthians 2 says this, These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit teaches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul starts this with kind of an obvious statement in verse 10 saying, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within? Kind of saying, like, you don't know what I'm thinking uh, or what I'm feeling right now, and I don't know what you're thinking. Sometimes we like to think we know what others, what's going on in other people's heads, but often we're wrong about that. And the only way we can actually understand what other people think and what, what's going on in their heads is if they actually reveal it to us. And that's often the way that we can actually get closer to other people, a friend or a spouse, if they re- reveal to us what's going on in them. The same is true with God, is what Paul's saying, is that he has given us his spirit, so now we can get closer to God because God has revealed himself to us. Now, uh, Paul actually makes a a Trinitarian point here, which uh, is kind of a a complicated part of Christian theology that I'll just very briefly uh, explain. And, And we believe as Christians that there is only one God, but there's three parts to that one God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's three persons, and they do different things, but they all are completely united and one. And it seems paradoxical, and we can't completely understand it in our human natural minds, um, but, but, but this is something that runs throughout the scriptures. Uh, so if you want to know more about this, or if you're confused by it, I invite you to do some more research this week. But the point is, is that the Spirit is God. So, Because the Spirit has been given to the mature, we can have understanding. We can experience God's kingdom because He has been given to us, and we can experience God's kingdom and and the glory that that comes with that as we accept what Jesus has done. Remember, this isn't to some uh, elite people of Christianity. It's not those that are better than, that can have this. It's, it's all of them. He calls all of the, the, the people in the church of Corinth mature. That means you too. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit in you that can guide you and, and give you the understanding you need. Not just to understand Christian doctrine, 
but to guide you with what you're doing in your life, how to live and, and how to go about being a Christian in, in society today, in Canadian culture, or wherever you live around the world, that God is inviting you, or that Spirit is in you and guiding you so that you can have His understanding. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, um, but, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about how we can enter that a little bit more fully in a minute. But because we have this understanding, sometimes it's really easy to criticize those without this understanding. And as we criticize the, the culture, we, we need to understand that they don't have the spirit uh, leading them and guiding them and giving them wisdom. So what we're talking about seems like foolishness to them. Now, I want to take a step back for a second. And this isn't a, a, a section of humanity that's superior. And too often it can feel that way in the church, like we're, we're closing off from other people. But that's not what Christianity is about, and that's not what Paul's talking about here, that just because we're mature, we're better then. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, have you ever seen one of those pictures on social media where someone says, there's a, a random picture of a, a tool or an outdated technology, and someone says, uh, if you know what this is, share and like this, uh, but don't write what it is in the comments. I don't know why people do this, but to me it seems kind of prideful. Like, I know what this is, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, so I'm going to hold this above your head and feel superior. Maybe you've posted one of these things, and that's not why you've done it. But it kind of can feel that way uh, in these posts, and it can feel that way in churches, too. That, that we are separate from other people, and we are better than other people, and we're not going to let them in. But the gospel of Christianity is not about what we have done. It's what Jesus has done for us that he has died on the cross, that he has earned it. And in, first, in chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how it's the weak of the world that are often, uh, that Christ has saved. And, and because we have this posture of humility, that's what invites us in, not of anything we've done on our own. But also, also the gospel of Christianity is not something that's excluding, it's inviting. It's not trying to hold other people out. It's saying, we want you to experience this too. We want you to experience not living for the world, which will come to nothing, but experience something where you're destined for glory and eternity. Not to be spiritually blind, but to understand. And that's why Paul talks about using simple words very often so that people can understand and be brought in to spiritual understanding and to the goodness of Jesus. Paul finishes this with something that I didn't notice at first, and you probably didn't notice as well. And it's, a, it's actually another quote from the prophet Isaiah. And again, Isaiah wrote a few hundred years earlier. And that's in verse 10 when he writes, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? When Isaiah asked this question, there would have been a very obvious rhetorical answer. No one. Who can know the mind of the creator of the universe? Who can know the mind of the one who, has, who knows how many uh, grains of sand are in the sea? Who can know the mind of the one who knows all the stars in the so sky? Who can know the mind of the one who knows our thoughts and who knows everything about everything about everything? Who can know that person's mind? Obviously, no one. And when Isaiah writes, I, I kind of wonder if he was thinking about uh, Job. Now, if you read this, this, the book of Job in, in the Bible, you'll see that he's somebody who has some terrible things happen to him. And because he has these terrible things happen to him, he kind of starts to question God. And he starts to say, okay, this doesn't make sense. You didn't do it for the right reasons. And, and he kind of questions God's plans in one way or another. 
And then God actually starts to question Job. And he says, do you understand what makes the things in the world? Do you understand uh, how I made this and how I do this and how this works and how that works or how weather works and all these things? And at the end, Job just goes, okay, you're right. I can't understand. I don't know. So when Isaiah asked the question, before Jesus came, before that part in redemptive history, the answer is no one. But Paul, he writes after Jesus. And when Paul asks the question, he answers it for us, and he says, you can know the mind of God. Not only you can know the mind of the Lord, you have the mind of Christ. It's something that you already possess, whether you're living by it, whether you're following it, whether you're guiding it or not. We have the Spirit in us to guide us with whatever we're doing. Even if we're messed up Christians and we did something wrong last night, we come to Him in humility and repentance and receive His grace, and He will guide us. We have the mind of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we know everything about everything like God does because we can't handle that. It also doesn't mean that we can know whatever we want to know uh, because that would take away uh, the opportunity to have faith in God, to have dependence on God, and, and to trust in Him with whatever our circumstances have. But what it does mean is that we have access to His Spirit not because we deserve it, but because of what He has done for us. And He can guide us with whatever we're going through. Whether it's big or little, we can come to him in prayer. Just like some of the heroes in our Bible, or maybe the heroes in your life. Just like uh, Moses, who talked with God, you can. Just like David had a heart and praise for God and, and, and walked with him, you can. Just as the Apostle Paul was directed to go here and not to here, by God talking with him continuously, you can. Just as Jesus had this continuous communal conversation with God, you can because you have the mind of Christ. It's not about being good enough. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And we can posture ourselves in love and in humility. So what does this mean for you? First of all, it means if you're a follower of Jesus, you are destined for glory. And that's something that we don't have to just wait for eternity. We can experience it now. Now, there will be hurt and trials and suffering because we are in the age of the world as well. These two ages are, are here. We're in the already, but the not yet, where this age will go on forever. This world will perish, but we can experience God's freedom. We can experience his life in ways that we can't even imagine. So we can experience that now. But it also means that we have the mind of Christ. And if you need guidance, if you need wisdom, you have access to God himself. Now, it's important that you have the right reason. Uh, Dallas Willard actually said, he said, I fear that too many people seek to hear God solely as a device for obtaining their own safety, comfort, and sense of being righteous. Too many people uh, want God's wisdom because it's going to give them their comfort and, and, and they come for selfish desires and, and, and pride that I'm doing the right thing because I'm following God and that's what they're yearning for. But if we come with a heart of love, like, like Paul talks about, in, uh, to love God with all our heart and, and as we come to him with love, we can have that connection with him. 
a couple things, about connecting and talking with God. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody? And I use the word conversation here very lightly. And it's more like a monologue from the other person. And they continually talk for a really long time. They don't ask any questions. They kind of just tell you what they're thinking. Um, And then the conversation's over. I think sometimes that can happen with us with God. Now, it's important for us to talk with God, to pray with God, to do these things with God, but I think it's also important to, to pause and to listen. Maybe that's listening for, for prompts and, and things like that, but it's also listening throughout our day. To just have a posture of listening to God and say, God, I'm going to listen to you. I want to listen to you, so help me to hear you. Whether that's through somebody else's words, whether it's through nature, whether it's through reading your Bible, whatever it is, to ask God to lead you to ask him questions. Maybe that's about big things or little things and and what you're doing throughout your day, but to actually posture yourself to listen and to hear from God rather than just having a monologue conversation with him. Now, the next thing is that I think it's important that as followers of Jesus, we are actively engaged in what God has already called us to do. When somebody starts a new job, they, they need to have a lot of guidance on what they should and shouldn't do, and, and maybe from their employer, they're being told a lot of what to do. But over time, what is supposed to happen with his workers, they're supposed to be able to do their work on their own, so they need less and less direction from somebody else, and they more just do what they're supposed to be doing. I think often that's true in Christianity, too, and that we know some things that God has called us to do, but yet we don't do it. And when we're not doing these things, we may want his guidance, but he's told us already what we should be doing. Maybe you've already had some promptings, a prompting to take somebody out for coffee, or a prompting to to pray more or read your Bible more. And and these are ways that, that God talks with us as we're actively engaged with what he wants us to do. And as we do these things, we can have more of the mind of Christ, more of a continual conversation and and community with God himself. Because we can live by faith that he will guide us even if we don't feel like we're hearing him. Because you have the mind of Christ. Maybe that this week, that's just going to be your prayer. To ask God for, for a, a, a deeper revelation of the mind of Christ in you. And to claim that over yourself for your day. I'm going to invite you to say a prayer uh, after me. You can even say it out loud if, if your situation allows for that. Um, and, and maybe it's a prayer each morning that you say. But maybe it's, or, or maybe you want to adjust it to what, what you want. So I invite you to pray this uh, after me right now and maybe throughout your week. Thank you, Jesus, for the mind of Christ. I choose to have the humility and the love I need to live by your mind in me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You have the mind of Christ and you can live by it. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you, first of all, for that you have given us your spirit, not because of what we deserve, but because of your love for us, and you want to be connected with us relationally. I pray that we would live by that this week in a posture of love, in a posture of humility. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.